Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. More players tell me that Tiger Woods is the most underrated player of all time. Underrated considering what he did how he made the game look and, and that, that most players are just trying to have a good month and, and to hold on to those, those fleeting feelings. Golf is, is the ultimate game of confidence and also the ultimate game of lack of confidence as well. Always great to have you check us out here on If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Hey, before we get started with today's show and my guest, I want to thank everyone for following me and listening to the podcast and my rants. And I really appreciate those of you that have taken the time to review the podcast and write comments. And if you are listening via Apple Podcasts. It's very easy to do. It would mean a lot to me if you would give the podcast a rating and then leave a brief comment. Thank you in advance. I really, really appreciate that. Hey, before we get to my guest today, I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. They have been in Sacramento and locally owned for over 20 years. Doesn't matter whether you have a small job, a big job, Guess what? New Works Plumbing is going to be there for you. They're awesome. And their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. Hey, check everything that they can do for you by going online, newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest today is somebody that I've known for quite a while when he was working for the Sacramento Bee covering the San Francisco 49ers. He's had a pretty amazing career with stops at Sports Illustrated, the New York Times, Newsday, and you see him now on the Golf Channel. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Damon Hack. Damon, how you doing, buddy? I'm great, old friend. How you been, Grant? You know, I am doing good. I have just absolutely loved following your career. You've had a hell of a ride, my friend. I tell you, don't don't wake me up because it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I've loved sports since I was a little kid, and used to be the guy that had the Sports Illustrated magazines. I'd put them on my wall as a child, and you know, my dad and I would wait wait for the magazine to arrive on Wednesday or Thursday if it was a day late. And grew up watching the Lakers at the height of their power. You know, when it was Magic and Kareem and Worthy, and and fell in love with golf in the '90s when Tiger came on the scene. So. I've been able to do a lot of cool things, man. Covered the Olympics a couple times and 
Super Bowls and the Masters and the Open Championship. I'm still having a lot of fun. And I didn't even mention goats and grapes. What's that all about? Yeah, I've, I've gotten into wine. It might have to be not a coincidence. I became a father, of course, about a decade ago to, to triplet boys. And I discovered wine about the same time. So I started an Instagram and also a Twitter handle at Goats and Grapes on the intersection of wine and sports. And I've discovered that a lot of athletes, Greg Norman has his own wine label, Yao Ming, you know, fantastic center of the Houston Rockets, is big into wine, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Danica Patrick, Charles Woodson, Drew Bledsoe, Ernie Els, you name it. So I've kind of dedicated an Instagram page to, to sports and to the love of wine that a lot of athletes have, and I'm one of those connoisseurs now myself. You know, that's phenomenal. I remember talking to Dick Vermeil about this. Uh, we, we talked about this very topic for about 20 minutes one night on the radio. What do you think it is about athletes and wine and, you know, having their own label or whatever the case may be? What, where, what is the connection there? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think it's one of the the things about access to the finer things for, for a lot of these athletes who maybe didn't grow up with a lot, wine would be something absolutely foreign to them unless they came into the money that they have. And, and kind of when you go out on the road and, you know, you think about Greg Popovich and the Spurs and the team dinners that he would sometimes have. And all of a sudden these players are, are around people that, that have access to, to wine cellars and restaurants and they can travel. And, and in their downtime, I think, you know, with, with the ability to spend money, they have discovered, you know, what I think is one of the great joys of adulthood, obviously, if handled responsibly. And that's a nice glass of, of red wine with a steak and, and uh, some will add a cigar to the scene if possible. But I think it has to do with the, the access now to things that maybe they didn't have before and also the discovery of what wine can mean to, to a dinner table in terms of great conversation, great memories with family and friends as, as you get older and you reflect on on wonderful trips and you learn that wow wine is not just made in california but up in walla walla washington and in the willamette valley in oregon and sicily and italy and france and spain and it's a a global beverage as well so i think it has to do with a, a lot of them also looking to a second career and knowing that they won't be playing sports forever greg norman joked with me that he's now known as the wine guy as opposed to being the, the golfer who won two major championships. So so neat to see a lot of these athletes kind of find a, a second love and, and for some even a second career. About two months ago, I had Steve Sands on my podcast and we talked about him getting into the Golf Channel right in its infancy. And he's been part of that network and has done such a marvelous job. How was it that the door opened for you? How did you get involved why that move? You had covered golf before, but what was so attractive to you? It was almost 10 years ago that you started to work at the Golf Channel. How did that all come about, Damon? Yeah, exactly right, Grant. In 2012, I was still working for Sports Illustrated at a time when I would say the previous year or two had been spent talking about buyouts and how things were kind of constricting the ad space and, and that, that suddenly – the big trips that we were taking in the magazine cover stories would start to be less and less. And they started to ask people to voluntarily take buyouts. And I was not going to be one of those people until I got a phone call from the golf channel and some of the people in their management positions, Molly Solomon 
and her husband, Jeff Russell. Jeff was a longtime editor at Golf Digest, who I knew through the magazine world covering golf. So I was at the U.S. Open in 2012 in San Francisco, the Olympic Club, mm. and Molly and Jeff called me and said, would you come to Orlando to sit across from Gary Williams, who at the time was the main host of Morning Drive? You know, they, they'd seen me do a couple things on TV for SNY in New York. I'd pop on. Uh, on TV every once in a while to talk about the Giants or the Jets or, or Tiger if he was making news. And they liked what they'd seen, and they wanted to see if this was something I could do full-time. So they flew me out from San Francisco to Orlando for a week. I sat across from Gary Williams on that Friday after four days with him. They called my agent and offered me a job. And this was at the same time that Sports Illustrated was offering buyouts, and I could kind of see the writing on the wall that the print business was going to be constricting. I saw this as a move almost more for my future about trying to find something that would be a little more just comforting for my family and having a little bit more than maybe the Mac world would from New York to Orlando. And of course now Golf Channel moved back to the Northeast now living in Connecticut. But the big move to Golf Channel really came as the print world was constricting and I got a Golf Channel job offer and I jumped at the chance. It's PGA Championship weekend. Before we talk about round one, which is in two days at Kiowa, the PGA calendar was disrupted last year, obviously due to the pandemic, and it was a new calendar. Do you think that the initial reports from both golfers and people that cover the sport like the new PGA calendar that we have now? I think so. I honestly think, Grant, that a lot of the players are seeing the big picture, knowing what a struggle 2020 was, knowing how golf had a a wonderful opportunity as an outdoor sport to lead kind of professional sports in return to somewhat uh, a normalcy, kind of at the tip of the sphere. And so the schedule has been all over the map. There's no question about it. There is a plethora of events on the PGA Tour. It's almost like there's too many good events. There's too many big-time events. The four majors, the players, the FedEx Cup, the Olympics this year, the Ryder Cup, the World Golf Championship events, there are four of them. So there's almost there's almost an embarrassment of riches. Now the PGA Tour has this player impact program where the top 10 players will split $40 million if they're Google impressions. Are, are up there in the stratosphere. So I think the, the main sentiment of the PGA Tour in this era is one of gratitude. Thankful that they have not just a place to play, but so many places to play, big-time purses, visibility, sponsors that are knocking on the door in Ponte Vedra trying to get into PGA Tour events. So I think that even though it's a little bit jumbled up, maybe not the traditional schedule that we're used to seeing, Maybe if uh, some people think there should be more of an off season so we miss golf when it goes away, like a natural baseball season or a football season where you can miss it when it's gone for a couple months. The players' main sentiment, Grant, is gratitude and thankfulness that they've been able to really play their sport without losing as much time as some of the other major sports did during this pandemic. What's fascinating to me 
about pro golf is how fleeting success can be. We saw Rory break through, and we'll talk about him going back to Kiowa, where he won uh, the last PGA championship there. That broke a mini slip. You look at Dustin Johnson, who, you know, we look at what he did last year, and then, you know, what he did at the Masters in the fall, and this year it doesn't even come close to making the cut, and we haven't seen him atop the leaderboard recently. What is it about this damn game that can humble even the greatest out there? This is, this is the normal arc of the golf career. It's of struggle. It's of finding it. It's of trying to hold on to it. But I think that the Tiger Woods era, where he made winning look so rudimentary, eight wins in a year, nine wins in a year, seven wins in a row, four majors in a row, 15-shot win at the U.S. Open, eight-shot win at the Open, 12-shot win at the Masters, three straight U.S. amateurs, three straight U.S. junior amateurs. I think that we were so mesmerized and really kind of just thought that that's how great golf was played, where for the most part, the best players even have these moments of loss of confidence, crisis of confidence, injury, swing change, expanding family, new coach, new equipment, confidence. Loss of confidence. It's fascinating to watch. I think the Jordan Spieth, the Rory McIlroys, the guys that can win in a bunch and then go a year or two or three or four in the case of Jordan Spieth without winning is more of the norm. More players, Grant, tell me that, that Tiger Woods is the most underrated player of all time. Underrated player wow. considering what he did, how he made the game look. And that, that most players are just trying to have a good month and to hold on to those fleeting feelings. Golf is, is the ultimate game of confidence and also the ultimate game of lack of confidence as well. Which basically is uh, another way we can say that is momentum. And Rory, who loves this course at Kiowa, round one on Thursday, him winning last time out last weekend, how big is that for him? And how do you factor him into what we may see this weekend? Yeah, huge for him, considering the turbulence that he's had over the last year and a half, acknowledging that he was trying to get more distance off the tee, trying to chase down. Bryce DeChambeau, he added a second coach to his stable in Pete Cowan, hitting a you know draw for most of his career and now hitting a fade off of the tee with the driver. So having to find different windows uh, through which to, to find his shots off of the tee and finding success at Quail Hollow, where he played so well historically, one in 2010, one in 2015. But winning on the PGA Tour is hard. So for him to get that third win there his first win since 2019 his 19th career win and now on the eve of this major championship where he won by eight shots back in 2012 that pga with his dad jerry in the gallery i think it's just it's the perfect timing for him if you look at the the betting houses now we know how much golf and sports in in general uh are are, are, you know doing the points bet and the action network and DraftKings. You know, Rory's the favorite. He's the betting favorite now coming in, which speaks to his form now, which speaks to his form nine years ago. He's one of those players. You know, Tiger is is all by himself in this category. Mm. But to me, Rory McIlroy is one of those players that when he plays golf at his highest level, it's it's, it's must-watch television. It is soaring. 
it is it is a symphony in, in full throat. And I just love it when he is at the height of his power. And I think he's getting close to that level, if not already there. Damon, what should we make of Bryson? He is he a trendsetter? I mean, he's so damn unique. He hits the ball farther than anyone else. He's already proven that yeah, I can win a major. I can go out and win. And but then you see him, you know, destruct at Augusta uh, with many of the other top golfers in the world. What do you think about where he's at and what he means? For the game of golf, is this going to be now where people look at him and go, boy, I need to do that. I need to bulk up. I need to hit the ball farther than anyone else. They're already doing it. They're, they're already following it. When you win a U.S. Open by six at Wingfoot at a golf course that is lined with finish, you know, thick rough, you're changing the way the game is played. You're changing the way we think about the game, and you're changing the way that your peers think about the game. Hmm. I think Bryce DeChambeau, is here to stay. I think Augusta is a different puzzle. You kind of look at it as a golf course that you can bring to its knees because of, of length off the tee. But if you talk to the Jack Nicklauses and Tiger Woods of the world, they say it's a second-shot golf course. It's more about the angles into the green and knowing where to leave your approach shots. And I still think that Bryson is on that learning curve at that golf course specifically. But to see him absolutely take apart Wingfoot. And then to see him follow it up at Bay Hill, to see him nearly, you know, win at the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass, and he would have but for a sterling final round from Justin Thomas. I think Bryce DeChambeau has the respect of his peers. They're paying attention, and they know that in this modern game, with the equipment that they have, with the technology to hit the ball a mile, he's at the forefront of what everybody wants to do and nobody's doing it better off the tee than Bryson DeChambeau. Of course, the unknown, Damon, injury, and the effect of the stress that he puts on his body, that is something that people talk about, and rightfully so, correct? Absolutely. It's interesting, Grant. I've had conversations with Brooks Kepka and Jason Day, two of the big hitters in the game, who have had to deal with injury. You know, you can't talk about Brooks Kepka. You know, we mentioned the four major championships, but it's also the state of his body and knee surgeries and seven hours of rehab he had during the Masters just to try to stay upright. He ends up missing the cut. That's going to be the question long term. What will Brooks Kepka's body look like at the age of 40? Shambo as well. He says he's lifting weights correctly, but you see the, the force that he puts on his body when he swings the club. Even if the equipment is lighter than it used to be, what will his spine look like at the age of 35? Jason Day can't practice as much as he used to, can't hit as many balls as he used to because of the forces he has put on his back. Those are the questions we won't probably know for another decade or so, but it's definitely something that we're watching. Can these players continue to reach the swing speed and club head speed and ball speeds that they are now with the equipment that they have now and not pay a price mm. on their hips, their back and their knees at some point down the line. What's the best part about your job? What do you like the most about what you do? Honestly, Grant, it's talking to the players about a game that befuddles even the best in the world. I have so much appreciation 
for the difficult golf shot, for the hard-to-execute shot. And I'm mesmerized by the players who are able to pull it off in these stressful situations. And I've covered the NBA. I've covered, you know, the Knicks for a couple of years, covered the 49ers and other you know, reactive sports and sports where you're running and hitting and, and jumping. And this is a sport where you're walking and talking to a caddy and hearing the gallery and having conversations with yourself. And Bobby Jones once said that the toughest part of the golf course, the toughest thing is the field between the, your, the six inches between your ears. Mm-hmm. You know, Hogan said the same thing. It's like it's a mental game. So I'm fascinated by the conversations these players have with themselves, the motivation that they have. Why do they want to be great? What are they willing to do? You know, what's the, what's the daily grind like? I just love talking to them about their brilliance and also their fears in a game that uh, sees a lot of calamity as much as greatness and brilliance. Two years ago, I got a whole new perspective on the game. Chris Russo uh, invited me and 10 of his buddies to go to Scotland for a week to celebrate our 60th birthday. And we played nine rounds of golf in seven days. And we played Turnberry. We played Muirfield, Royal Troon, Carnoustie. We played St. Andrews, Old and New. We played Kings Barnes, just to give you an idea of our itinerary. But I got to tell you, of all the things I've done, and like you, you've covered the NFL, you've been to the Olympics, you've done amazing things. And I have too. I've been, we, if you're in this business for as long as we have, we're blessed. We get a chance to do just things that we never could have even dreamed of as a kid. But I got to tell you, standing on that first tee, getting ready to tee off at St. Andrews after walking around the city the night before and visiting some of the pubs and speaking to the people and then going to the road hole and then walking across the bridge on the 18. I got to tell you, that's one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life being in St. Andrews. Uh, Buddy, you you absolutely nailed it. And it's interesting that you bring up the old course at St. Andrews and what a great itinerary that you and, and Chris and your buddies were able to do. I first went to St. Andrews back in 2000. I was covering the NBA at that time for, you know, for Newsday and Tiger was doing his thing. And I was like, I want to go to St. Andrews because he's going to complete the career grand slam there. He just won the U S open by 15. And I went to the old course and watched him as a fan. I stayed in the dorms at the university of St. Andrews. I brought my club and I walked and followed Tiger, you know, on the way to an eight shot victory. Then 2005, I was at the Times, and I covered uh, Tiger winning again. 2010, I, I covered Louis Oosthuizen winning. And I kind of just had this feeling that I'm, not, I'm never going to play this golf course. For whatever reason, I, I would go and I would cover these events, but I never, my name never got pulled in the lottery or, or I had to take a flight. 2015, I, again, I didn't, I, I didn't get a chance to go that year. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ever get a chance to play. And a few years ago, I was covering Carnoustie. And uh, some buddy said, let's go play the old course. And I got to play it. And if you love this game, oh boy. to stand on that tee and, and know that they got the town to the left and the, the Royal Nation Clubhouse is behind you. It's amazing. And you know that the likes of, of Jack Nicklaus and, and Seve Ballesteros have won here in Tiger Woods. And you're sticking a peg into that ancient soil. It, it, your soul is absolutely stirred. And, and I will never forget it. I, I took pictures. Sure. Left and right, I shot 91, which for me is a solid round of golf. And, and just that walk, every step you remember. And it's one of those incredible blessings that I've had 
in covering this great game and, and being involved in sports as a journalist. And, and you had that yep. that same experience. And, and my goodness, it's, it's, it's something I will never forget. It was the last round of golf that we played that week on the old course. Wow. And I, I shot an 89 and I parred, wow. I parred 18 and I will, wow. t- and you know what I'm talking about. When you walk up 18, there are a lot of people that are just hanging out watching because it's just the place to be. And I got to tell you, I mean, walking, you know what I'm walking up that fairway on 18. I mean, uh, I, I, it's hard to put in the words. You know, I, I don't even really know how to, uh, you know, verbalize it other than, you know what I'm talking about. That was one of the greatest walking up 18 was one of the greatest 10 minutes of my life. It, it's like it's like Central Park in New York or, or Prospect Park in Brooklyn. There are people walking their dogs. Yes. There are people heading to dinner, and, there, and the golf course just happens to be in the town. Similarly, I hit a great drive on 18. I was between a 9-iron and a pitching wedge, and I hit 9-iron too far over the green into the, into the, that slope with all that, all that rough. I left my third in the rough. I hit my fourth to about six feet made the putt for bogey and got a little light applause from the eight or so people yes, yes. who were watching us chase the sunset. And, and I get goosebumps even thinking about that moment to, to, for me to shoot 91 and to, and to make a, a tough six footer for bogey. And the sun is going down slowly as it does there. It just lingers in that sky forever. And there's that clock in that clubhouse. Oh. I'm like, my God, I, if, 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 if if lightning hits me now, this this is a this is as good as it's gonna get. This is this is a great time to go right now, God. If, if now's the time, I'm ready. It, I, uh, it oh, just stirred my soul, and I, and I just I just love every solitary step. I've got a great story for you. You know, we were playing um, all various kinds of matches throughout the the week, and so we get to the ninth round of golf. You know, on the old course, and it's hard to believe. You know, we had twelve golfers. We had six on the blue team, six on the red team, and we wow. were we were tied after at, we were tied going into the final round. And so we're playing match play, and I was all square going to eighteen, and my caddy goes, "I want you to aim towards the first tee box." I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, just aim to the first tee box. Because I have a tendency, if I miss my drive, it's a slice. And obviously on 18, you can't slice. <laughs> You're going to end up, you know, you know, break someone's window along the, the, the road there. So I, I get up. And, the, and by the way, blue skies, not a cloud on the sky. But in the back nine, the wind had really, really picked up. So I hit a drive. Wow. I, hit, I hit it very good. And I get up there. And my caddy uh, goes, uh, you're about 152 yards away. And you know how it is over there. You don't ask for your club. The caddies after the second or third hole know what, what you hit, what your game is. Yeah. My caddy hands me, if you can believe this, a five iron. And I go, five iron? He goes, yeah, <laughs> five iron. You're hitting it right into the wind. And I'm literally, wow. and, and it's, and, and me be, you know, me a little bit, me being the New Yorker and the brash, the vocabulary, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm literally addressing the ball and I'm cursing at myself loud. I'm just going, do not F this up. This is the last shot of the week. You, you know, you're this, and I'm, I'm literally going, this is going to be the biggest effing shot of your life. Take a deep breath. You know, like I'm acting like an idiot out there. And I, I hit maybe the best shot that I hit all week. I hit it about 10 feet in the upper right-hand quadrant of the green. Anyway, I end up winning the hole we win the match but um but that you know the wind over there and the perspective and you know what again we talk about the beauty of golf the love of golf i've never used caddies before damon i didn't know what that experience was like and we had a caddy every day you know i really that was fun i got to know about their families i got to know about their culture i got to you know what wasn't just golfing I, i was able to talk with caddies didn't you have a similar experience like that 
they're some of the great characters of of our sport, man. And, and, and what a what a great experience for you. You know, Caddy's a famously one Caddy. I, I was playing somewhere. I want to say it was in the UK. I think it was Hillside, one of the great links courses in England. And the caddy, you know, kind of says that you see that cloud, aim for that cloud and hurry up and hit it because that cloud's moving. <laughs> I mean, you know, where else are you going to get that? And, and it's just, it's, it's a magic, it's a, it's a language there. It's, it's a love and respect for the game. And, and kind of similarly, buddy, I, when I went, I played, uh, I took a Scottish journey once with a couple names you'll recognize. Mark Canizero, longtime New York Post golf writer. Yeah. Hank Gola was a longtime yep. Daily News golf writer. And sure. I was the Times golf writer. We're all rival papers, and we're traipsing around Scotland before uh, covering the, the Open Championship together. Uh, unbeknownst to our editors, we're, we're packed in the same car, and we're playing golf, and we're sharing stories. And one of uh, the fourth in the group was a, a pal named Jack, who an attorney, good friend of Mark Canizero's. And similarly, the match comes down. We're playing all these golf courses, and the match always comes down to the last day, mm. the last couple of holes. There's just something magical about these trips, this bonding, these buddy trips, these golf courses that have stood the test of time, that are centuries old, that are really just state parks to this everyman game and and people walk their dogs on these courses and nobody says boo it's a little different than kind of the country club vibe that you get sometimes in the united states golf more over there is more for the everyman not as expensive more accessible and there's just something soul enriching about chasing the sunset on an ancient links and i'm so happy for you that that you and your pals we're able to experience it. It's an absolute joy that I reflect on quite a bit. Final thing for you. We're now going through basically the second period of time without Tiger Woods. The state of the game, the health of the game, in your opinion, is what right now? I think it's very strong when you look at the state of the PGA Tour schedule. I know they're trying to do things to protect themselves from these upstarts rival leagues you might have heard about the premier golf league and the super league golf uh some backed by saudi arabia to try to lure some of the best players from the states to the middle east to play i think you've heard loud and clear from the likes of rory mcelroy john rom justin thomas uh, they're not interested tiger has been such a unicorn a comet uh, a once-in-a-lifetime athlete for this game for the sports fan who casually watches golf, going to miss him. Going to miss Tiger if he's not able to come back from this latest calamity. I don't know if he will be. Good to see some pictures of him on social media. As someone who grew up in golf through Tiger, I miss him. Even though he's given us so much, so many memories. This 15th major in 2019 at the Masters, for example. All of the magic from the late 90s. Through the early 2000s, the duels with Duval and Mickelson and VJ and Ernie and Jim Furyk and Retief and, you know, Bob May at the PGA and Rocco Mediate at the U.S. Open at Torrey. All these majors and all these moments, part of me still wants more. And, and that's just, we, we never want to let go of Elvis or, or, or Bob Dylan or, or any of these legends. We want to see them, like Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Arnie's Army. Uh, to this day, you know, would give anything to turn back the clock. So I think golf is going to have to learn to thrive without Tiger. That remains to be seen whether the 
the ratings that Tiger generates can be generated by Spieth and Rory? I, I think the answer is probably no. But I think that the, the tour folks are trying to find ways to keep golf relevant, young, hip, and cool. But, man, as someone who's covered all the greats of this era, nobody, nobody moved <laughs> the sports needle and could compete with Tom Brady and LeBron James like Tiger Woods. And I miss them. And that's just the, the sports journalist in me, the golfer and the golf writer and golf broadcaster in me misses his majesty and misses the red shirt on Sunday. Very well said. Enjoy the week at uh, Kiowa. You've come a long way, my friend, from the Sacramento Bee. It's been so great to know you and to follow your career and your success. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Yeah, you, you are, you're, you're a treasure, man, and I really mean that. Uh, good things happen to good people, and I'm really happy for your success. I'm so glad we, we've kept in touch now for, what, 20-plus years now, Grant. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate, you know, having these conversations with you as we've had through the years. And anytime you want to wrap, buddy, I'll be here. Before we get to today's Crowd Ultra q and I want to tell you about AdLoad Technologies, a brand-new, innovative way to advertise your company. Now, they utilize LED digital displays that are embedded in the back of semi-trailers. Your message will always flow with traffic and capture attention of consumers in high-traffic areas. Now, additionally, AdLoad can provide comprehensive and intelligent reporting, giving you accurate impression counts and exposure, which really helps you analyze your marketing strategy for the long term. Great concept. Check it out, adloadtechnologies.com. That's A-D-L-O-A-D, adloadtechnologies.com. Hey, now to our Crowd Ultra Q&A. And if you have not yet signed up, it takes a moment. Just go to crowdultra.com. And maybe, just maybe, I will answer your question right here on the podcast. All right, T wants to know, is it a good idea for the NBA to address unnatural shooting motions that draw fouls this offseason? You know, believe it or not, the NBA has addressed this in the past. I've been at many meetings where with the officials and now Monty McCutcheon goes over uh, unnatural shooting motions. One of the ones that I think that bother a lot of people is when a shooter deliberately moves forward into a defender and if an official misses that and calls the foul on the defensive player instead of the offensive player, I think that's what you mean, one of the examples of unnatural. But, yes, I think it, I think it needs to be addressed even further uh, than it has been. All right, David wants to know, how long until the G League Ignite seriously impacts the NCAA? Well, money talks, right? And if the G League Ignite is an alternative for players that – are coming out of high school that want to bypass college for a year and they can make money, um, you use the word seriously impact the NCAA. I think we're a ways off from that. But, yes, it could definitely impact uh, the NCAA. Christian wants to know, any idea why Chris Weber and TNT parted ways? I've heard many things, uh, but the one that was the final straw was Chris basically blowing them off uh, for March Madness. Uh, at the NCAA tournament, it was reported that uh, he waited until basically the last minute and said, I'm not going, I don't want to be in a bubble. And that was uh, the final parting way uh, for Chris Weber. And I will add this, and I'm not saying this because of the differences I've had with Chris. I think he was absolutely unwatchable and unlistenable on TNT. I really felt that he had, uh, he, he was so bad was so distracting, 
And, you know, the one thing I always like to do is give my own opinion based on how I feel. But I will tell you, in speaking with a lot of my colleagues across the league, both local and network announcers, they tell me the same thing. Uh, so I, I, I think it's better for basketball fans. I think Chris Webber was absolutely awful, horrible on the games. I mean, not, not, not just bad, awful. All right, let's move on, get to some other Q&A. Brendan wants to know any scoop on Marv Albert retiring shortly after Webber leaving. Yes, Marv Albert did not want to take any of the limelight away from Mike Breen who was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame this weekend, and that's why the announcement was delayed. It, it, Marv's departure at age 80 had absolutely nothing, nothing to do with Chris Webber. Personally, being a huge Marv Albert fan and someone that idolized him growing up, and the reason why I got into this business, I always felt bad for Marv that he had to work with Chris because I felt that it was a very difficult situation for a play-by-play announcer to have to work with Chris Webber. So I wish that Marv, and I'm so happy that Marv is now going to have a different analyst alongside him uh, for the final couple of weeks of his NBA career. All right, Luke wants to know, is there anyone in this year's NBA Hall of Fame class you think is undeserving? There are. I'm going to start with Bill Russell. Bill Russell, one of the great players that's ever played in the NBA, but as a coach, Bill Russell's going into the Hall of Fame as a coach? Because, what, he won two titles with the Celtics when he was, you know, basically a player coach. And I will tell you this, 32 years of the NBA, I've never been around a individual that was, I don't want to say less qualified because that would not be accurate, but I would just say less motivated, less capable, uh, as bad of a coach that I've ever been around than Bill Russell. So, yeah, I, I don't, and, and I, I could go on. I'm going to stop right there with Bill. All right, Andre wants to know, did you ever talk to Charles Haley? I heard he was a wild man. I actually never did talk with Charles Haley. And yes, uh, he, he, was, he was different. Dominic wants to know, will Jameis Winston start for the Saints? Well, if he does, they're not going to be very good. I think they're going to, it's going to be quarterback uh, by committee. I'm, I don't think you're ever going to win with uh, Winston. Zach wants to know, who are your NHL playoff favorites? Well, I'm going with Vegas. They had another great regular season. They've been knocking on the door. They've come close. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick Vegas uh, to go the distance. Will wants to know, does it alarm you hearing Kyrie say basketball is not the most important thing to him? Not really. I've heard our other athletes uh, say that before. That's number one. Number two, There's nothing that Kyrie says that I really pay attention to because I don't think he has a real grasp on what the hell he's talking about most of the time. So it goes in one ear and out the other whenever Kyrie says anything. But again, to answer your question, am I surprised? No. No, I'm not surprised. Adam wants to know, will the Kings break the playoff drought record or the playoff drought record next season? Well, first of all, if we're talking about being a top eight team in the West. No, they will not break that drought. If you consider making the playoffs now, if you're ninth or 10th, then they, they could, yes. I personally don't, okay? 
the playing tournament is what I'm referring to. I don't really consider being in the playoff tournament being in the playoffs. It's not really the playoff tournament. It's a play-in tournament. If you make the play-in tournament, to me, you're not considered a playoff team. That's how I look at it. That's how I feel. Now, if you're seventh or eighth and you win the first game, you're automatically the seventh seed. But no, you've got to be in the top eight, in my opinion. And I don't think the Kings, and again, I have no idea who they're going to draft. I have no idea what the free agency is going to look like. So it's a very good question. It's a very good question. But the answer to me is an easy one. And the answer is no. It's time for Brent, Brent, Brent. Hey, today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento, locally owned for over 20 years. For all of your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. You know, I've been reading and seeing a lot of people jumping on the Clippers case for tanking in the last couple of games against Oklahoma City and Houston, the two worst teams in the NBA. And now they enter the playoffs as the fourth seed instead of possibly the third seed, which would have given them a very good chance of playing the sixth seed Lakers. Now, as we know, the Lakers ended up seventh and they're in the play in. So that can't happen. But, you know, I, I, I get it. Hey, listen. You know what? If I'm the Clippers, I wouldn't want to play the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. You want to play a team that has, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, if they're healthy, in the first round of the playoffs. And again, I am I'm really not a guy that likes to stand for tanking. I think it is absolutely awful. But let's let's understand the Clippers clearly tanked. Okay. Now I know the other food thought here is the Clippers, if they are really that good and they think they're the best team in basketball, then go out and play wherever you play. If you're the best team, you're going to win anyway. No, you know what? I get it. And again, you know, I saw Stephen A. Smith go on a rant from ESPN, and I've seen a lot of other criticism coming the way of the Clippers. That's the way it goes. You know what? They don't want to play the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. By the way, the Clippers have never made it to the conference finals. How about that for you? Even with Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Doc Rivers could never get that team out of the second round. Now, I don't know if it's going to be this year. They open up in the first round of the playoffs this coming weekend against the Dallas Mavericks. But I sure as hell would rather play the Dallas Mavericks than the L.A. Lakers. So I can't get on their case. I really can't. And again, I I hate tanking. It drives me freaking crazy. But I get it with the Clippers. Why play the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs? If you don't have to, why play LeBron James and Anthony Davis? If you don't have to, to me, that's an absolute no freaking brainer. And that's my rant for today. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. My thanks to Damon Hack of the Golf Channel. Hope you enjoy the PGA Championship round one, two days away. A little bit of golf this week. See who's going to be standing with the trophy coming up on Sunday. Hey, make it a great day. Thank you so much. And again, don't forget to check out my video rants as well over on YouTube. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Hello. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.